and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 198, recorded on July 17th, 2021. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. And this is Steam Deck. It's a handheld, high-powered gaming device that lets you take your Steam library with you wherever you are. It's got a beautiful 7-inch display, ergonomic controls that are really built for long play sessions, and a new look for Steam designed for Steam Deck. You can think about Steam Deck like a portable gaming PC with built-in controllers. And it runs Linux. Arch Linux, actually, with a Plasma desktop. Yep, that's right, and it's available for reservation right now. The first units, Valve expects, will ship in December 2021. It comes in at three different price points, $399, $529, and $649. Each price brings more storage, with the top two tiers offering faster built-in storage, but all levels come with an SD card slot for some expansion. In an interview with IGN, Gabe Newell says they had to work aggressively to get the price points down to where they are now. Note, this clip I'm about to play from IGN, it has music baked in. I apologize for that. But we think that the information from the bearded horse's mouth is worth it. One of the things we're testing on this is that price performance is going to be one of the critical factors in uh, in the mobile space. And so we've had to be very aggressive in terms of uh, pricing on the deck. Because of its form factor, many people are comparing the deck to the Nintendo Switch. Sure, I, that was one of my first thoughts as well. But when you look at the specs Valve has managed to cram into the deck, I think maybe the comparison becomes a little less clear. The deck has an AMD Zen 2 processor with four cores and eight threads. It's got 16 gigabytes of RAM and has an 8-core GPU that bursts up to 1.6 gigahertz. So in a lot of ways, this is more comparable to a modern Xbox, but just in a portable form factor. And Valve's actually hoping that the combination of this hardware running at 720p on the display will produce really good gameplay, even at rather high game settings. And their goal is to potentially sell millions. So our view our view is, if we're doing this right, that we're going to be selling these in millions of units. Yeah. And it's clearly going to be establishing a product category that ourselves and other PC manufacturers are going to be able to participate in. And that's going to have long-term benefits for us. So that's sort of the frame in which we're, we're thinking about this. Valve is talking about defining a whole new product category here. One that would be powered by Linux. Yeah. And the reaction overall seems really positive. You can really see, if you've been watching Valve for a while, a lot of the lessons they've learned building hardware over the years are baked into the deck. Ultimately, it's an evolution of years of hardware and software design work. We've taken everything we've learned from developing the Steam Controller, Steam Machine, Steam Link, and Valve Index, along with the Steam Client, and applied all of that collective experience in designing Steam Deck. That's Eric from Valve in a video they created for developers interested in supporting the deck. One of those hardware lessons that set the deck apart from devices like the Switch are the built-in trackpads. And, well, definitely something we'll want to go hands-on with. The way Valve describes them sounds promising. The trackpads here are an evolution of the same technology that we've been working on uh, since the Steam Controller days and experimenting with internally. Uh, you also have seen some, some of our trackpad work as part of the Index Controller, for example. They can be used for many different things. We have a, a keyboard that lets you do uh, dual thumb typing. Uh, In-game, you can map them to areas of the screen uh, for the mouse cursor to jump there and be kind of a one-to-one -one region uh, type input. 
You can uh, create on-screen menus that pop up on top of the game and have many customizable uh, like macro buttons or keyboard uh, keys. Um, and you can just use it for mouse input where it's really powerful and reliable uh, for the people that uh, are comfortable with that sort of input. And something that Valve stresses multiple times in their interviews is the deck is just a PC, an open PC at that. You could even load Windows on it. And users will be able to connect just about any device compatible with Linux to the deck. But Valve is also working on a direct dock solution. Yes, we're producing a dock. Uh, it'll be sold separately. Is there a price on that yet? We don't have a price for you today. Okay. Will that be available at launch? Don't have that answer for you yet okay. today either. There's plenty of uh, existing off-the-shelf solutions. Uh, I don't think that it'll be, you know, providing this nice experience, but uh, similar functionality. Any, any USB-C dock that you can buy off the shelf will work with this, and it'll do USB, Ethernet, and HDMI out, all of the things you would expect from a dock. One thing we don't have a very clear picture of just yet is the battery life. Well, there's there's a wide variety of experiences there. It's about two to eight hours, depending on what you're doing. You can play Portal 2 for four hours on this thing. If you limit to 30 FPS, you're going to be playing for five to six hours. That's something we're going to want to test when we get our hands on the actual hardware. One aspect that's caught the attention of some developers is the deck's launch is really focused on Proton for game compatibility. In fact, there's hardly a word about native gameplay at all from Valve in the announcements or in their documentation for developers. Steam Deck runs games using Proton. And if you aren't familiar with Proton, it was originally released back in 2018, and it's a compatibility layer that allows Windows games to run on Linux. And it seems Valve is shooting for the moon when it comes to compatibility with Proton. The team has been working on and improving Proton for a while now. Most APIs are already supported by Proton, and most games already just work. And the team is building support for more APIs and enabling more games by default. Our goal is for every game to work by the time we ship Steam Deck. We are constantly building on Proton, and there's a lot of work that has been done that doesn't yet affect the public version of Proton, including testing of thousands of games, engaging with third parties like anti-cheat providers, work targeting game compatibility, and more. Yeah, Valve says they're actually going for 100% compatibility and that they'll be working with anti-cheat vendors directly to try to get Proton compatibility. I have been contacted by some developers in the Linux game space, however, that say that they've been nudged or encouraged by Valve to focus on a Proton version of their game instead of a native Linux port that they might have already had in the works. I don't know if that's true or not. Those are just the rumors going around on the Internet that, that Valve seems to be really pushing for Proton. But I could see in this early stage, they really want the narrative to be around compatibility. They don't want users or developers thinking games are all going to have to be ported in order for them to work on the deck. I could see Valve wanting to focus a lot on that Proton compatibility right now. Yeah, it seems clear that they want to have a narrative out there for developers. Listen, this is new. It's different. You might not be experienced supporting a Linux-based platform. We've got your back. They definitely are getting developers hardware it's just going to be a little bit, and it sounds like developer kits will be in very limited supply. The answer is we're currently building dev kits and have earmarked some of those units for partners like you to test your games. And these dev kits will be identical to the same Steam decks that will be shipping off to customers that they'll be playing later this year except for a few small cosmetic differences. And supplies are really limited. And so we're going to have a program where you're going to be able to request a dev kit soon. And we'll be sure to keep you posted and let you know the moment you can submit a request. Now, I am a little concerned if they are pushing everyone towards Proton, if these are if this is true or not. And 
I could see that creating some incentives around the Steam platform. Developers would really be targeting the Proton environment, especially if something like the deck really took off and there were multiple versions by multiple hardware makers. I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this, Wes, but Dell actually took a shot at creating a Switch like machine a little while ago too, but bailed on the project. Oh, really? Yeah. So you could see maybe if this sells well, Dell picks a project like that up again. And of course they're going to use SteamOS. It's free. And Valve is going to want to guarantee that those games work like a console. Um, and so maybe that's why they'd be pushing something like Proton. I don't love that, though, because I think the dream about Steam coming to Linux originally was availability for all Linux distributions, getting getting games just native on Linux. But if this is the case, I still am compelled to get one. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a Linux machine that plays your games, right? I love the form factor. I love that they're going to include the Plasma desktop. And like they stressed over and over and over again, it's an open PC, so you could really throw anything on there. Are you locked into Steam or can you, because you mentioned to mention this a minute ago, Pierre-Luc, or can I log into the Microsoft Store with my Game Pass Ultimate account or my Epic Game Store account? Again, you can really do anything that you would expect a PC to be able to do. So the answer to those things is yes. Yes, excellent. The switch to Arch as the base for SteamOS is frankly a little surprising. And Valve has confirmed users will have full access to Pac-Man and the usual Arch package repos. We're going to dig more into the deck's Linux implementation with our expanded coverage in this week's Linux Unplugged. Well, speaking of handheld-powered Linux devices, Ubuntu Touch OTA 18 has introduced a new way for Ubuntu Touch to scale down the wallpapers that you have set. You know, your high-resolution wallpapers, guess what? They take a fair amount of RAM. That's really going to benefit some of the lower-end devices running Ubuntu Touch, like phones with less than a gigabyte of RAM. This release also comes with an updated Media Hub component, which is being used by Ubuntu Touch apps for audio and video playback, so expect a smoother, more reliable experience there. And of course, there is, as always, a batch of bug fixes that just make your experience smoother and more stable. But there is a significant fix in here for Google Pixel 2 devices that were having audio call quality problems. You'll definitely want to check the notes for that. We covered Amazon's announcement of their Elasticsearch fork back in episode 173 in late January. This week, Amazon announced the first production-ready version of that fork named OpenSearch. Amazon first released OpenSearch back in April, but it was an alpha then. It just really wasn't ready for production use. Amazon's making the statement now with version 1.0, which is available up on GitHub, that OpenSearch is ready for production environments. And Amazon is eager to remind everyone it's very much open source and they would like your contributions. In a blog post, they wrote, We encourage anyone to use, modify, extend, embed, monetize, resell, and offer OpenSearch as part of their products and services. They go on to say, broad adoption benefits the entire community. This has been in the works, really, since AWS launched its Elasticsearch service in October of 2015. That kicked off a whole series of events that have led us to this announcement today. We are now living in a post-server-side public license era. Yeah, okay, so back in March of 2019, AWS created its own distribution of Elasticsearch. Now, that's distribution and not fork. Because at the time, while they were unhappy that Elastic, the upstream developer of Elasticsearch, sort of keeping some of their more useful components out of the core open source project and making you pay for those, 
Amazon's new distro was called the Open Distro for Elasticsearch, and they were pretty clear that they were not forking Elasticsearch and still intended to contribute back upstream. Yeah, however, Elastic remained unhappy with the use of the Elasticsearch name by Amazon and its trademarks, essentially. And at the start of 2021, they changed the product to be dual license under their own Elastic license and that SSPL, or the server-side public license, that was originally created by MongoDB. This relicensing had the effect of making it difficult for cloud providers to run Elasticsearch as a service, since now they would have to publish all the proprietary magic in the back end that actually makes that service work. Elastic's move was also kind of unpopular with the open source community, especially those who had contributed code, believing it would always be free to use under the Apache 2.0 license. AWS responded by announcing OpenSearch in January of this year. But this time around with a new name and explicitly forked from Elasticsearch just prior to those license changes. The company also introduced OpenSearch dashboards, a fork of Kibana. But now all of that is history. The key question going forward is how successful will the company be in actually building a community around OpenSearch? Linode.com slash land. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. Linode started in 2003 as one of the very first companies in cloud computing. And now, 18 years later, Linode is the largest independent open cloud provider in the world with 11 global data centers serving nearly a million customers and businesses around the globe. Linode's mission, though, remains unchanged since the day it begun, to accelerate innovation by making cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to all. That's led to one of the best experiences out there and why we host everything on Linode. Linode has an easy-to-use, powerful cloud dashboard, S3-compatible object storage, bare metal servers, cloud firewalls, DDoS protection, VLAN support, a powerful DNS manager, block storage, object storage, Kubernetes support, and even simple one-click applications, plus super-fast networking and so much more, with pricing that's 30 to 50% cheaper than other major cloud providers out there. I find a simple $5 a month Linode offers a surprising amount of performance, and we love their dedicated CPU instances for our encoding jobs. And if you ever run into any trouble, Linode's got the best customer support out there with hundreds of guides and tutorials to help you get started. And their community support, it runs deep. They're making our colony reunion trip possible with meetups in Salt Lake City and Denver and more along the way, all powered by Linode. So what do you got to do? Go use our $100 60-day credit to performance test your network, to build an application, or to learn something. You know, they do have a tutorial on IPPerf. You can use that to diagnose your network performance and see what's up. Plus, Linode could just be part of a multi-cloud strategy. That's why you got to go check it out. There's a ton you can do and a ton you can learn. So go take advantage of that $100. Sign up today at linode.com slash LAN. Get that $100 60-day credit on your new Linode account. And of course, support Linux Action News. That's linode.com slash LAN. Are you ready for mobile to get simple? Linux.ting.com. You see, Ting is an MVNO, a mobile virtual network operator. That means they're not digging holes and putting towers in, but they're getting access to the same towers. They're getting access to the big networks, but at a lower cost. And with Ting Mobile, 
you get the same coast-to-coast coverage as you would with, say, one of those big carriers, but you just pay less, and you get Ting's fantastic customer service. All of Ting's plans are simple and straightforward, like their new Set 12 plan. 12 gigs of data, 35 bucks a month, unlimited talk, unlimited text. It's pretty great for 35 bucks a month. And, of course, they have family plans that are flexible that let you add as many lines as you need. And every line has unlimited text and calls. You get a shared pool of LTE and 5G. And they have flexible pricing. If you use 2 gigs, 20 gigs, or a lot more, there's a perfect Ting plan just for you. And every plan is contract-free. With their great interface, fantastic, straightforward UI, it's simple to switch to Ting. And pretty much any phone works with Ting because they do support so many networks. So to get started... Just go to linux.ting.com. Check your current phone, create an account, and pick the plan that's right for you. When everything lines up, Ting will send you a SIM card, you pop that in your phone, and you get activated in minutes. Cutting your phone bill in half has never been easier with Ting's brand new plans. It truly is the next generation of Ting Mobile. I've been a longtime customer, and I can tell you they've never had plans this great. So go see how much you could save and take 25 bucks off of that at linux.ting.com. On Wednesday, July 14th, Microsoft announced Windows 365, a new service that makes it possible for users to run a full version of Windows right in a web browser on a device of their choice. The new service is based on a similar Azure offering, but at first will only be available for businesses. Although, given Microsoft's tone in the announcements, seems pretty likely it will become available for consumers pretty soon. Today, we are continuing this journey and creating a new category with Windows, the cloud PC. I'm excited to announce Windows 365. With Windows 365, we are making Windows available, not just on Windows devices, but any device, harnessing the power of the cloud. This has never been done before. And think about it, just like applications were brought to the cloud with SaaS, we are now bringing the operating system to the cloud with Windows 365. That was Satya Nadella during the introduction, and they really emphasized the fact that you can run this on Linux and Android and iPads because Windows 365 is creating a virtual PC in the cloud that you get access to. The cloud PC you set up with Windows 365 can be completely personalized. You get to choose how much RAM you want, like up to 16 gigs at least, and how much storage you want, at least up to 512 gigabytes. Things you tweak and change about the PC remain persistent even after you disconnect. Microsoft says they've built this thing around a zero-trust architecture, and they're also offering an instant-on-boot experience. And, well, I have to say, all that seems pretty likely. I would expect Microsoft to invest heavily in the security architecture of this thing, such as it is, so that way services like Windows 365 would be compliant with some of the more rigorous regulatory requirements out there, at least eventually. And really, instant on, that sounds like a natural evolution of what Microsoft has been building with virtual machines for years. Right. There's a lot of things they've been working on here, including RDP, which is the back-end protocol. Now, Microsoft's been working on that since 1998 with Windows NT 4.0 Terminal Server Edition. They've built numerous ways to deliver an RDP session, so It's not really a surprise that they could get broad device compatibility that way. What is new here is that this is a first-party offering right from Microsoft, and they're strongly positioning it as a hybrid solution. With Windows 365, the operating system itself becomes hybrid, accessible on the device as well as the cloud. 
Well, I guess in the aggregate, this might mean more Windows users. You could especially see the use case scenario in the enterprise environment where you could deploy cheap, low-end hardware, maybe even Raspberry Pis, and just spin up a client that connects to a Windows machine in the cloud that Microsoft is continually updating. It's really going to be ideal, I hope, for potential and existing desktop Linux users. You know, the ones that have that one Windows app that you just have to have for work or whatever. Now you'll be able to immediately and instantly load up a modern version of Windows that has been built on a virtual server that is run by the OS vendor. So not only does that mean more people are going to be able to use desktop Linux, Microsoft says this is a long-term project, so it means they're going to be pushing the industry to take this thing seriously and support Windows 365 like a full-fledged version of Windows in a universal way. That's huge for Linux users. That means when they need Windows software, they're likely going to be able to run it on Windows 365. It's funny how this changes the framing a little bit. I'm realizing that, okay, I don't love Windows in general, but I really don't like it running on my device. And if Microsoft makes it easy for me to just use Windows when I have to, that's honestly pretty nice. I've played with Azure virtual desktops a little bit and played with running VMs on Azure, and none of it was as seamless as it sounds like Windows 365 is going to be. And I'll say this too, Wes, I've always felt like the best way to run Windows is in the safety of a virtual machine. And now they're just going to do it for you. (laughs) It is funny how long it took them to get here in a sense. I mean, other providers like Amazon have had this for a while. But Microsoft being the maker of the operating system, I think, does give them pretty good advantage. As an example, they've got some nice tie-ins with existing Microsoft admin tools built into this thing already. Yeah, I agree. It does seem like this has been a long time in the works. A lot like the first story we started with, with the deck. The Steam Deck also feels like it's something that Valve has been working towards for a long time. But where Microsoft is going to stand out from, say, like the Amazon Web Services uh, workspace service, is Microsoft is going to offer a flat rate fee instead of a consumption-based fee structure like it does for Azure and AWS does. So... They may have something that people can just pay a flat rate. Maybe consumers could pay like $10 a month and they get access to Windows 365 and Office 365 and they get everybody all nice and locked in. (laughs) You know, I mean, that seems like where this is going. But uh, I look at it as an opportunity to enable more desktop Linux and I prefer to look at it that way. But we'll keep an eye on it and we'll keep an eye on everything else going on in the open source and Linux world. So go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get them new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. Hey, don't miss the latest self-hosted episode. It's now available at selfhosted.show slash 49. As for us, we'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Next week.